Hello and welcome to the Newism podcast where we talk to social innovators and disruptors to discover how they would shape a new, more inclusive economic system fit for the modern world. This week, we're talking to Johanna Mayer. Johanna is a professor of organisation, strategy and leadership at the Hertie School of Governance in Berlin and the Hewlett Foundation Visiting Scholar at the Stanford Centre on Philanthropy and Civil Society. She is the academic editor of the Stanford Social Innovation Review and has co-authored or co-edited numerous books, book chapters and articles in scholarly publications. Johanna's research lies at the intersection of organisations, institutions and social change and her objective is to contribute to a better understanding of the drivers and barriers of social and economic development. Delighted today to have Joanna Mayer uh, uh, join us for the Newism podcast. Um, we're going to talk about um, Newism, about ways forward in the world, what the world might look like, um, in particular some emphasis around social entrepreneurship and the emergence of that sector. So, hi Joanne, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what you're up to now and what your background is, what you've been doing in the past few years. Yeah, I'm a boring academic who basically 20 years ago started to, uh, to do research on, on social entrepreneurs and the organizations they, they founded and also at the same time uh, dedicated quite a bit of effort also on becoming an educator. So I've spent the last 15 years, um, I spent the first 15 years being an educator and the research on social entrepreneurship in, in business schools. But then seven years ago, I really kind of decided that it's time to move on and, and think about, um, about being an educator and the researchers uh, slightly in a different way. And I joined the School of Public Policy. I'm at the, a faculty member at the Hertie School of Governance in Berlin where education is really about uh, educating the next generation of leaders that go into the uh, social sector, into the private sector, or the, uh, the public sector. And I think this is also where I would like to put the seeds of social innovation, social uh, enterprise into young people so they see opportunity uh, in the different sectors around what it means to actually engage in social change in new ways. And, um, and this is just my way of actually moving on with uh, the field of practice. Social innovation, social entrepreneurship as a field of practice has evolved uh, in impressive ways these last 20 years. So also us academics or researchers or educators also have to to uh, find ways of how to uh, engage with this evolution. Now on the research front, the last 15 years together with my colleague Christian Silos, we have really tried to understand how innovation as a process and scaling as a process from a point of the organization, the social enterprise hang together and how they hang together in order to uh, create impact. In the field of practice, we often heroize or emphasize innovation as the holy grail. But I think it's important to have a, um, a more uh, nuanced perspective of what is really the role of innovation in this process of creating impact. And that's what we, we try to do, um, working with organizations such as, you know, social enterprises such as Brock, Gomrikas, Aravind, Sikkim, 
in India, waste concern in ba uh, Bangladesh for over 15 years and uh, following their trajectory of creating impact um, has helped us immensely to make progress on, on this question of how innovation need to hang, innovation and scaling have to hang together in order to create impact. And more recently, we are, we are moving forward and try to understand uh, what's behind this, this hype or this dream or this hope that social enterprises can be agents of systems change. And we will dedicate these next five years of our research time to dig a little bit deeper what it means to do systems work from the perspective of a social enterprise. So that is, uh, by, by the way, at the beginning, there's no need to apologize. This is really, really fascinating area that you're in. And um, I think those of us that are kind of into change and think the world needs to change, uh, the world of academia and research has such a vital role to play. So it's about all of us working together to, to, to see what comes out. So, but I mean, just what you've explained there, uh, and what you're doing now, your journey, and what you're up to now is is is, is really really fascinating. Um, so the, the the whole area that you've been investigating, you know, around innovation and scale, um, and how they are linked, and and, and the potential that I think is a fascinating area. A lot of social entrepreneurs come into this space. They're really driven. They're really really passionate. Um, but it's the issue of scale that actually changes society. So the question really that I'm interested in is whether governments and society as a whole is picking this up and we go to scale and create that, that change in society or whether these organizations are still very much on the periphery that their impact is small um, and they're only going to be short-term um, uh, fixes for small things. So I'm very, very interested in what, what you're seeing in terms of the emergence of the social enterprise, social entrepreneur sector here and where this might be going. Thank you, Mel. Uh, you mentioned an organization uh, before Waste Concern. It's an or one of those organizations that we have studied uh, uh, over 15 years. It's a rather small social enterprise, and I think it's deliberately small. It's two engineers who constantly come up with new, uh, new innovations to address um, real problems, such as uh, how to deal with waste in a city like Bangladesh. So for them, they are very explicit. They, it, they do not want to scale at the size of the problem. And they also don't want to create this massive organization. So, but they are very careful that they can actually enable scale. So someone else taking over the innovation and basically diffuse it and reaching the scale. How do they do it? They basically create a patent, a patent out of, on their technology, not to protect it, but to make sure that people that use it actually do it in the right way and therefore can create the impact at scale. Now that's, that's one example. There are other organizations such as, uh, as, as Brock, for example, in Bangladesh that has scaled as an organization massively, uh, but also is really kind of working with the government directly that they take over their innovation. I think what we have, so what I'm trying to say is like, it's important to understand how innovation and scaling hangs together and, and really try to understand what is your innovation archetype because it's important also for understanding what's my strategies to scale. 
if I think back about even 10 years ago, we had these high expectations that it's the social enterprises that have to do all the scaling in the world. And the good news is that I think we as a field of practice that now have moved on to understand social enterprises play a specific role. And what we have to become better is exactly what you alluded to. I think we have to be, become better on bringing the government in and try to understand uh, those mechanisms uh, or try to um, develop more mechanisms how we can enter policy um, policy processes and a direct feeder of innovations into such processes because ultimately uh, there will be some social enterprises that will achieve the, the scale of a BRAC but there will be few and it's damn hard to build such big organizations it's very very hard but we have to become smarter to find different ways of, uh, of somehow like a pipeline where uh, we make it easier to pick up uh, specific innovations and then scale it through government, through perhaps even uh, in cases like companies, for-profit companies, why not? Um, and I think another important um, uh, facet to, to, to keep in mind in this is it makes a difference whether you scale uh, innovation that focuses on a technical problem or whether you scale uh, an innovation that tries to address social relational problems. Because a technical solution, if you will, is easy to scale. And you, you basically uh, really try to, to get it right and you give almost a manual how it works. But it, when, when it comes down uh, to scale an innovation or a solution that might work in addressing uh, more deeper social relational problems, then it's really hard to scale it. And we have to be prepared that uh, we give enough room for experimentation in each context where we actually try to scale it. And I think this is also where we as, as, as educators need to come in and also uh, get the right bar of expectations, uh, get the, the bar of expectations right, educate also policymakers, um, uh, people in the business sector and in the social sector to better understand that they cannot expect magic from scaling an innovation someone else has developed, but really also doing the adaptation work that is required to actually the impact. That, 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 that's very interesting, and and and, and we should know. I mean, BRAC now. How many employees does it have in Bangladesh? About thirty thousand or something. Yeah, or yeah, more. more. Absolutely, and not only in in Bangladesh, but also Africa and. Yeah, um, yeah. and so it's 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 a major player. In fact, almost like a like a corporate, but but with the social aims and social objectives, and and you know you know it's been phenomenal in terms of seeing the impact that it's had as an organization. But as I think I, I'd agree very much, not everybody can be like Brack and Waste Concerns made me an example whereby the imperative isn't to grow, actually, it's the, the imperative actually is to be impactful and you can be impactful with other partners and you can partner with government or you can partner with other, uh, uh, the private sector or whoever. Um, one of the things that, that, that I'm uh, interested in um, looking at is just you know, the exit strategies, if you like, of, of social enterprises in the kind of modern world. So, as you know, I work in the area of, of, of homelessness. 
Um, and one of the big frustrations I have, Joanna, over, over the years is that, um, let's say our organization does, does very good work and, and, and we're able to get a lot of people off the, off, off the street. The challenge is, as soon as we get them off the street, they're replaced by other people. And so, so what, what's happening here, actually, is that we're doing, uh, and other organizations like ours, doing very, very good work, but actually the system's failed. And we're not actually making any difference uh, to, to that system. So governments uh, and maybe the, the general population in different countries accepting that uh, social enterprises or charitable work will work in this, in this area of extreme poverty. And that's very good. So that'll be fine. That's the job. And we'll all kind of live happily ever after, as it were. Whereas actually our aim needs to be that in a world we want to see there to be no homelessness, no extreme poverty. And we seem to be struggling in some ways to actually influence overall system policy with governments to stop people becoming homeless in the first place and stop extreme poverty happening. And that would seem to me to be our bigger challenge. So it's almost you wake up some mornings, I guess, and go, what's the point? We are kind of battering our head against a brick wall continuously, despite our successes. Now, how do you think we can move on to get this systemic change mm -hmm. uh, uh, that, 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 that we require to do if we're accepting we don't want poverty in the world? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mel. Let me try to unpack the question because there, there are two sides to it. You started out with, with exit strategies, right? And, and then we moved on to more the, the systems change aspect of, um, uh, of the work of, of social enterpri uh, enterprises. Let me start with the first one. Now, I'm, uh, apart from being a faculty member here at the Hurti School in Berlin, I'm also the academic editor of a magazine called Stanford Social Innovation Review. And that, um, I've been doing this for 10 years, which has been an, an, an amazing opportunity to see also how the, the field of practice has evolved. Uh, and uh, we are now talking much more about uh, exit strategies. We had a wonderful article called The, the End Game, where basically the authors would would argue that you as a social entrepreneur can already today, before you start, or as you start also thinking about what will be your end game. You know, will it be to exit because you solved the problem? Will it be that you give over uh, to, to government and so on? And I think this is, this is all good news because also there is a larger, as you also alluded to, there is a larger field of practice with more players that we can think about that. But I think coming back to your second point, more the systems change, uh, reality is is still that most of the social problems that we address through social innovation or social entrepreneurship are very complex. They are nested. You know, homelessness. You, I mean, you of all people know that is nested in a net of other problems. You cannot isolate it from poverty, from you know now a health crisis. If you think about Manchester, uh, so problems are nested. Uh, and if we don't start to accept doing a careful, if we don't, if we need to start to accept that we need to do a careful problem diagnosis first to understand also potential systems aspect, uh, then I think all the excitement about changing systems through social entrepreneurship will not be fruitful because we fool ourselves. And it's also uh, tiresome, as you say, the problem, some problems will 
will probably not go away. Uh, we can dream of them going away, but they will certainly not go away if we don't start thinking about some aspects that basically make them so uh, robust, make them so sticky. Uh, even if the people that you, you, you lift up with homelessness might have a better future, as you said, like there are new ones coming in. So what we need to do in order to, to allow uh, thinking that uh, looks at this from a more systems perspective is really also get the, the players in, in the field of social innovation to recognize that uh, social problems do not come in single packages. That would be one thing. The second thing is that also the, the time expectation. What's our time frame? Uh, uh, how we, can we think about making progress on these particular social problems? Which problems, if it's really, we're talking about the nested set of problems, which problems need to actually be taken care first in order to have an effect on the other? So also thinking about it as a system of problems. And then think about also what is our uh, responsibility here? At what point in time, as you rightly said, like would policymakers need to come in to, to actually change something that then we have a lever to, to address another set of problems? Otherwise, uh, I think we fool ourselves. We fool ourselves if we say now, impact investors give you money if you promise them to change a system in two and a half years. I think that's not going to be uh, 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 an effective pathway for creating impact. I, 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 I think I agree. It's a very good point you make. And um, in, in some ways for us as social entrepreneurs, maybe it's, it's you know, small steps and small gains and understanding, you know, what, what are very, very complex problems. You're absolutely right. Interconnected. And the more global we come, the more interconnected globally they are. Potentially, though, the other side of that coin is that, they, you know, you find solutions somewhere and you, it can be applied globally. Um, I, I, I think, though, that one of the things that we are looking at here in this, in this newism is that it, it would appear that the, the big connecting factor globally is actually the economic system, that actually um, um, these are complex problems, but it's the economic system which is much of the driver around some of these problems. And what we're trying to say is it's not a question of you know, changing the way you do investing, for example, and I, I think impact investing, for example, is a very good initiative, but, but it's not perfect and some people don't like it. However, it's an initiative with, with good intentions, um, but it's still within the current system. What we almost have to do is, is find a new Adam Smith or the, who's creating a new paradigm in terms of the way we uh, uh, think about and, and deliver our economics um, because if you can sort the economic system out, you, you, you can potentially create fairness in, in the world. Now, uh, are, are, are we being too naive and, and, and optimistic by thinking that's possible? So there are two, two ways of thinking about it. One is to, to radically replace uh, an economic system based on, let's say, a new paradigm, as you said. Um, that will be very hard to do because there are so many vested interests in the current uh, economic system. And also don't think about the, the economic system as something that is fixed. No, it's, it's evolving and it's changing, but it is based on those, those pillars that we, or that we would like to change, right? Um, 
that uh, so one thing is replacing it completely with something else. Now, the something else we really don't don't have at the moment, right? There are uh, efforts to to change the way we 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 measure the GDP. Uh, Sarkozy with Stiglitz tried it. Uh, there are constant efforts, and we, we, we haven't really been able to do that. The second pathway would be really to think about uh, change the economic systems from, from within. within. Um, and also here, we have some, some good, also you mentioned it, it's, it's the impact, the field of impact investment. Uh, you can certainly say, it's 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 uh, with good intentions, but it's actually stuck with the idea of basically using the wrong tools to create good, right? So where do we start of of changing it? I think it's um, it's easier said than done, but I think we as educator we have here a, a critical role, and we don't always live up to that because we are still kind of teaching economics. Uh, with easy to teach liberal uh, uh, neoliberal uh, economics, I think there are some some instances, some some, some kind of small waves where also students themselves said they want to be, uh, you know, educated in different ways. But also here, I mean, there are good signs, uh, but uh, I don't think that we we put all our force behind that. Now, if I had to to uh, to have a preference, whether it's a radical change or uh, 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 a transformation, I would go for the transformation. Uh, but uh, I would love to see more committed people behind it. I would really see more uh, committed people uh, from politics, from business, um, uh, from investors, from all spheres of, of, of life behind that. Otherwise, we are not going uh, to make that. But let me also uh, give you an example where we can have actually smaller step, but steps but be more effective. Um, again, coming back to impact investing, I think... I mentioned it already. I think one thing that goes wrong with, with that uh, effort is just kind of trying to put all our hopes in financial tools. And I think if we don't create the passion or the excitement among impact investors to really care about the social problem and be, you know, the excitement needs to be how can we make progress on that particular problem, I think we will not live up to the, the hopes that impact investment can be an effective driver for social change. So these are just small things where we can start really also um, uh, put our fingers on. It, 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 it's very interesting what you say there about um, you know, getting, more, getting people behind this more, getting more governments, economists, academics, educators, if you like, into this sphere. I mean, I, I think there are signs that this is happening. There are some initiatives around the place. And as you say, there have been a number of attempts to create new measurements as an alternative to GDP. Um, you know, there, there, there's, there's concepts emerge more. So the concept of fair trade, for example, um, is one which is more than just one organization setting up some values in which it does trade. It, it's, it's a concept and a value which... Which, which other organizations can follow and, and help. And so then you have fair trade marks. 
but it but it only goes so far. It, it seems that, that what we need is this greater body to come together to talk about these things and how you can apply those values that, that, that come behind something like fair trade or impact investing for whatever. And we all know that none of these things are perfect, but how do you kind of build on them um, and, and, and create a, a kind of body of movement, if you like? Now, I would agree and I'm interested in your view about that the, the, the educators and academics have a role to play. And you talked when we first started talking uh, a half an hour ago about you know your new role and it's about uh, leadership you use this word leadership amongst younger people my experience anecdotally with younger people is that actually they they want to see change in a, in a very good way but it's identifying that leader those leaders who can emerge now and maybe come into this space and help develop uh some some new thinking which which can be applied now. So I'd be interested in your view and just where you're seeing the leadership uh, going in the world and whether young people are actually up now uh, to to understand the social uh, side of what they might be doing in their academic studies. So uh, let me just also make clear. I think like we academics and then leaders in the business, social, uh, uh, public life, that's one part of the equation. But in order to get a movement going, you really have to think about those that are not able to study, that are not basically uh, chatting with, uh, uh, with um, you know, higher rank um, professionals all the time. What I'm trying to say is like uh, in for systems to change and to basically become uh, a new system based on a paradigm that is lived, we also need to make sure that everyone can be carried over. And what we see in, for example, you mentioned a fair trade, we'll see how it resonates with a lot of people, but there are still a lot of people where you know they have no touch points with it. It doesn't mean much to them, or it's it's a nice concept, but in their daily lives they still kind of do other things, right? So I think we also uh, cannot assume that we create this ideal new system, but then forget about actually moving everyone uh, uh, with us. So I think that's a that's an important um, element that we often forget as we talk about social innovation and the promise of social innovation, social entrepreneurship in, in the same old uh, circle. Now, uh, the next generation of leadership, I think what we certainly see um, across also here, again, I need to stick to, to my reality and my world of, of being an educator. We see, we see both on the, uh, the people that actually take an educational uh, program to to start their first job we see much more excitement about uh, either combine a professional career with with the idea to do something uh, meaningful uh, related to a social problem than we had ever before that goes with business schools where a lot of people start uh, when they start new businesses they automatically do it with also a social purpose uh, or having a particular social problem in mind in my own school uh, 
uh, a school of public policy, people actually come to the school because they have a problem with corruption in their country, with climate change, and they try to figure out how to address that and where should I go next in my career in order to address that. Now, it took me out of my comfort zone as an educator because I realized I cannot tell them how to fix climate change, but I can help them to think it through. Because, the, the, you know, in the world of social problems, we don't have the solutions. And we have to be humble enough to realize that. And we have to create pathways for mindful experimenting around it. And if that means to, to take away the fear of young leaders to first start in the public sector, but then feel comfortable moving to the private sector or to the social sector, I think that's an important um, Thing that where we can uh, actually add as educator in this. Now, a final point, no, also related to my world as an academic. Uh, my passion has always been, ever since uh, 20 years ago, I started to do research on social entrepreneurship, to create um, a playing field for younger researchers to do more work because I already then saw that a lot of people would love to do research on, on social and uh, entrepreneurship, but you know, their supervisors would say like, oh, you can do that when you're tenured because you will never have an academic career if you, if you start researching on this. And now that is completely reversed. Uh, and that's exciting. And not only that, that we also see much more kind of people engaged in creating knowledge around it. But what I also observe is, is that the young academics, they all also want right from the beginning have something to say. So the relevance of their work matters immensely from them. Relevance here, I mean the, the, the relevance for the world, right? So I think that's also something that, um, you know, gives me enormous uh, joy to see how these young people don't shy away from saying, hey, I have something to say. I invest this time research something and I want to tell the world what I found. That, uh, it sounds ridiculous, but 20 years ago, people said, were more happy in their ivory tower and were told, well, when you're 50, 60, uh, you might be able to speak out. And I think that's also very positive uh, change with this younger generation. So that's, that's cause for optimism. Are you, are yeah. you optimistic about the future, do you think? I have to be. I have to be. Don't ask me this question now in Europe <laughs> as we are facing European elections. But I think uh, we have to. Uh, we owe it to the next generation to be optimistic, but also not only to be optimistic, but also uh, do everything we can with our you know, experience, with our the, the learning that we have generated to share that in, in ways that could be meaningful or helpful for the, this next generation. Uh, do, do you think at the moment there's, there's an interesting contradiction going on and politics seems to become away from the, the middle, if you like, to more kind of extreme views. So, you know, I could, I could speak to people like you, yourself and they would say on the one hand, they're very optimistic because of the reasons you just mentioned. And then they'll say, yes, but I'm very pessimistic because there's other forces going on. And, and is there a kind of yin and yang here that where, um, you know, the young people that you work with and yourself, we have to, to, to win this argument 
uh, about the world that we want to see in the future? So I think what, what we haven't talked about uh, in, this, in this equation is certainly media. You know? And media, media will play a very important role. And sometimes I feel it's hard for me to, to really predict anything because, and especially because, um, the, because the role of, of the media, of new, of old media, the new media in terms of how how people uh, gather information, how they consume information, how they share information. And here, clearly, I'm also out of my own comfort zone when it comes down to understand how, how the younger generation is actually, um, is actually uh, building up a specific knowledge base out of, of what, is fee, uh, what is fed into uh, the system by media. I think that that will be critical in, in moving forward uh, and will be also decisive to what extent we are able to, to, to get back to a middle ground or whether we have simply get used to, have to get used to, to a political landscape that will be dominated by the extremes. It's very hard to predict for me, and I, I, you know, I'm not a political scientist, and neither am I a media expert. I just sense that um, uh, there is going to be a, a crucial role of media in this all. So we're living in times really, we probably can't see it because we're in the middle of them. There's a significant change going on, isn't there, um, around, I mean, People have spoken to me that we have a, a crisis of leadership in, 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 in the world. We have a um, you know, ch change in terms of what people see the role of government is. Big corporations have more power now, etc. Um, and so if, if it's true we're, we're going through this change, then leaders, new leaders who emerge, and some of the young people you, 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 you teach or you, you, you work with in the research sphere, they start to have a kind of a very important role. So it's important what you were saying earlier about they are, they, they are speaking out about what they want to speak out about. And, and we need to support them in a path towards uh, good leadership. So, the, so I think one thing has uh, in a way changed that most of the challenges that we face are characterized by uh, the fact that we don't actually know what the problem really is. Think about cybersecurity. We have no idea where the problem really is. And then, you know, politicians go for solutions, something that they can actually uh, tell people. So we, we, we take shortcuts and we are not humble enough to, to actually uh, say, like, let's, let's try to understand what is the problem here. Uh, so that's not how pro uh, problem solving in, in policy work has worked before. So we have to ad adjust the way we address and solve public problems. And I think we haven't really uh, uh, grasped uh, that. Uh, the, it's also another thing that we easily over overlook is, yes, we have now the rise of the strongman, uh, strongman everywhere, but the, it's the reasons why we have strongmen in different countries might be very different. And so we can also not just brush over everything and say like uh, uh, that 
we see the same things because A, B, and C. No, we say the same thing because uh, uh, D, E, F in that country. So we have to be much more focused on local realities. We have to uh, understand people in their world and in their perceived problems. Even from us from the outside, well, you don't see a problem. There's obviously a perceived problem. So we have to become much more humble in, in really getting to the local realities people live in and understand those. Otherwise, I think uh, we will never be able to get out of this extreme uh, extremism. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting as well, the kind of local versus global. I, I, I mean, again, people will talk about kind of the way forward um, to have a sustainable world is really, you've got to concentrate on localism. And that doesn't necessarily mean within a national boundary. It's not nationalism, but it's localism. Um, so people will talk about, you know, can we create a self-sufficient town or a self-sufficient rural area where you're not having imports and exports, your trading is minimal, and actually you're, you're living in a different world. But by using globalization uh, uh, um, to affect um, uh, really, really impactful uh, localism, uh, um, and maybe so maybe what you're saying that's connected with that and maybe what we're talking about in the future then is actually the role of national governments it, it isn't so relevant anymore it's much more about local control of particular areas and that's what matters uh, um, in local people so we can live in a world but it's actually a local area which is is key and that then drives how you might uh, uh, create a, a fair economic system do you think there's, there's some logic in what I'm saying there? Yeah, there is. But I think like we also, we also have to think about identity, you know? I think a lot of people, yes, might feel much more, identify much more with a, a local level. We see that in Catalonia, you know, in, uh, in different parts of the world. But we as a, uh, we have to, to, be able to construct something around these more local identities that help holds us together. I think that will be very important. Otherwise, it will be a fragmented world. And this is why we need politicians. This we not need, but we also need to. Yeah, I don't know. We need to actually really make sure that we get the right people uh, into politics. Right people, not in saying like right because of a party, but. Uh, people that, that truly care. And there is something that there where we also have to think about what does that mean in terms of our rules of the game in democracy. Uh, we are always so reluctant to think about institutional innovations in those institutions we have, right? And I think we are lousy because um, we are not willing to shut down certain institutions, but we are not really willing to rejuvenate or innovate around them. I think that's the key challenge uh, for us as a society that is include, includes like uh, uh, the political world and also the So, so that's, that's a really fascinating insight, I think, because, you know, other social entrepreneurs I, I know and, 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 and you'll know will say often, I, I, maybe I could have been a politician, they will say, but actually I think I could do more outside uh, I could be more effective in terms of the change I want not being part of the system. 
And so people, you might say, well, they could be potential political leaders under the, 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 the description you said a minute ago, um, but, they, but they won't come into the system. So there's a challenge right away is, is how, do you, how does one get these potential leaders who are doing good work anyway to come into the political sphere um, 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 as leaders when they have some kind of clear values? How, how does that happen? Well, I think, uh, as I said before, we have to think about how can we, in a very mindful way, think about what would we need to change into our, in our democratic system, right? And I think one way to, to start doing that in a way that it's not disruptive uh, to democracy as a concept could be that we rethink like um, party politics, right? And um, but again, like I'm not a political scientist, I can dream about those things, and I certainly have, <laughs> I'm never shy away from having opinions. But also thinking about you know how how think about how sticky party politics is, how careers within parties work, how how everything is settled in the sense of that you have to be. Uh, a party soldier to actually come to a position in power, but then also when you're out of power, you are basically taken care by getting this and that position afterwards. So I think if we are not willing to address that, uh, I think um, we will not be able to attract uh, people like you or other social entrepreneurs into into a, a serious political uh, uh, career. And uh, again, it's vested interest. So I'm, I'm, I'm look, looking forward to the first politician who comes up and says, let's uh, rethink and uh, innovate our political system. Uh, but it, it's time. Yeah. So listen, uh, we, we probably have to stop now because um, we just run out of time. Uh, but we, we, we've covered a lot of subjects. Um, I really appreciate your, 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 your time and your insights here. And, and, and um, you know, obviously your work's really important that you've done over the past period. You've seen this uh, social enterprise and social entrepreneur sector really grow and develop and change and it continues to be so. It's, it's, it's a fascinating area, but so many more challenges in front of us now, I think. And, and it's a question of us talking together like this and, and seeing if we could come up with some uh, collective solutions across the whole spectrum. Um, but listen, I'm very, very grateful for your time, as I say, and, and um, obviously you'll stay in touch. And um, uh, I, I love reading your, your, your work and hearing about what you're doing. So I'd like to thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Mel. It was a pleasure. We learned so much talking to you, Hannah, and hope that you will leave this episode with as much food for thought as we did. Join us next time when we'll be talking to another great guest. And if you have a moment, please rate and review us on iTunes so that more people can discover the extraordinary potential of social entrepreneurs to create a fairer economic system for the world.